So mission impossible, my definition is this, a mission that is impossible to complete for the average individual but God. Come on, somebody. Touch your neighbor and say, I can do all things through Christ that gives me strength. Come on. I want us to look at Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 1. This is our foundation for today. It says, therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear. Wow. When's the last time you heard God say, let us fear? I need you to take note of that. Mark that down. Remember that. Let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us all as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, big concern, because it wasn't mixed with faith in those that heard it. For we who have believed, please let me be counted among that number, the one who believed God, amen. We who have believed do enter that rest as he has said, so I swore in my wrath, God said. They shall not enter my rest. Although the works, the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Church, when were God's works finished? At the foundation of the world. Man, I'd hate to come this far and then miss it all. I want to go in. If God's already got it for me, I want to experience it. Many people believe that the book of Hebrews, which we're taking our text from today, was written by a man named Apollos. And Apollos was not numbered among the disciples, per se, but he was, in fact, a writer. Uh, he was considered to be like an apostle. Um, and he was somebody that was very, very educated. He was the guy that, you know, that, you know, he was so smart you didn't want to hang around because he used big words to make you feel stupid, but he didn't really mean to make you feel that way. But he just used all these big words to be able to describe something. He could paint a picture with his words. He had eloquent words. He used uh, words that, uh, that, would, uh, that would cause you to wonder and to think and go into the theater of your mind. He was an intellect, deep intellect, and deep into the things of God and deep into study. So he was a very, very smart guy. And the book of Hebrews is written from the standpoint of somebody that has deep understanding and wrote very eloquently. So nobody knows for sure who wrote the book of Hebrews. Many think it was Paul. But Paul uh, tended to, uh, he, would, he could be deep, but he tended to go different directions with his writings uh, and not be as eloquent uh, as, as a man like Apollos would be. So people believe that it was Apollos. And one of the other reasons why they might believe that is because, uh, just, just for a little, uh, little history's sake, you might not know this, is that Paul, when he wrote the church at Corinth in his books 1 and 2, 1 and 2 Corinthians, when he wrote to them, he actually said these words. He said, look, he said, I did not come to you. Like others have come to you. Now, Apollos was just there. He was just there when Paul wrote him, wrote, wrote to the church of Corinth. And so he was just there. He said, I didn't come to you like others have come and taught you with words that were eloquent and that were, were big and fulfilling. He said, but I came to you with the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In other words, he was saying, it's hard to follow T.D. Jakes. Come on, so, somebody say Amen. It's hard to follow up on a guy who can, he can just preach you under the, under the rug, you know. So he, he may have been doing that and describing what Apollos was writing because he knew that what it was what saying was inspired of God. Apollos was one that addressed the culture of his day. 
One thing we should never be afraid of is to address the culture of our day. We've been anointed by God. Come on, somebody. And if we don't address the culture, we're relegated to live like the culture. But the culture that I'm talking about is not the culture of the world. The culture of the kingdom is what God wants us to have. And let me parenthetically just insert this in for everybody to understand this today. I love this. and This is prophetic seeing these two people up here this morning. It's like this is what God wanted to say. God is not colorblind. I know people say that from a good heart. I know they want to think, well, we're all just the same. No, honey, we're not all just the same. God made you exactly the way he wanted you. He didn't make any mistakes with you. He likes you. He likes the way you think. He likes the way you organize things. He likes the color of your skin. Come on, y'all. These two people up here are married, black and white. Come on, somebody. I, I, I said, that's a prophetic thing. I asked them, I said, do you have any kids? They said, they don't have any kids together. I said, too bad, because they're the best-looking kids. When black and white people get together, they're the most beautiful babies you ever saw in your life. Mocha, come on, y'all. Long eyelashes. Am I right about it? God didn't make a mistake when he made you. And to say that God's colorblind means that God's got a handicap. And God ain't got a handicap. He did what? He did this so that he can express himself to the world in brown and black and yellow and white and red. Come on, somebody. God wants to express himself the way he wants. And we're all made in his image. That's why I love this church. This is the color of the rainbow. In this church, it's a plethora. Of co- Look around, y'all. It's like an oasis of people coming together and freedom and enjoying the Holy Ghost. And you ain't got that just anywhere in America nor anywhere in Milwaukee, but you got it right here. You want to thank God. We're all brothers and sisters and honey, and we're not multicultural. Get that out of your thinking. We're not multi, we're multi-ethnic, but not multi-culture. There's only one culture in this church, and that's the culture of the kingdom of God. Come on. Come on. Just say to your neighbor, just say, I was designed to be fine. Just tell him I was designed to be fine. Come on. Amen. Look y'all, look at your pastor. God loves all this. Come on. Someone say amen. I'm sweating up here. Just like Jesus, he becomes all things to all people. He becomes all things to all people. He never changes the message. Never. But he will change the methods to reach the people. The book of Hebrews was designed to reach a group of people that had been walking with God for thousands of years. It was for the religious people of the day. It was for the Jews, the people that knew Jehovah for thousands of years. And it was to rock their boat a little bit and to shape their thinking and get them to think outside the box and that God's no longer in the box, that he used to be in your box called the Ark of the Covenant. But when Jesus died on Calvary, I said when Jesus died on Calvary, the veil was torn from the top to the bottom and God stepped outside of the box. Jesus. All they knew was God through the old covenant. So they're getting challenged. Their struggle wasn't the struggle of the Romans who were polytheistic people who believed that there were many gods. And let me just tell you, I'll prophesy this. In America, that is the coming religion, you know. It will not be the, this is what I believe, is what I feel God's shown me. So you mark it down, see if it comes to pass. But I don't believe it, the atheists will not win. 
The atheist won't win because their argument is too, it's too narrow. It, 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 it's, it, there's already a God vacancy inside of us. There's the search for God. We, we were born with it. So to deny him is to deny what's already inside of us. To search for him, to look for him. And he said, if you look for him, you'll find him. Draw nigh to God, he'll draw nigh to you. And so I think that people will be on the search because God's going to hit this planet with revival and they're going to be looking. And so it may go the other way, though, until the church steps up and becomes the church. And they move into polytheism. What is what? What is that? That means the, the, the religion of many gods. And so this God suits this need and that God suits that need and so on and so forth. We've got to pray against that. The Romans were in that day. The Romans believed like that, but that was not what the Hebrew writer was trying to get across. The struggle of the audience of the book of Hebrews was trying to reach only those that served one God, and his name was Jehovah. They did not know Jesus. God is the only God. There's only one. I love Muslims. I really do. I've talked to them. I've witnessed them. I've prayed with them. They're, they're, they're good people, but I'm going to tell you something. Allah is not Jehovah. They'll tell you, well, it's just the same God. It is not. It's a spirit. That's a demonic spirit. Allah is not Jehovah. There's only one God who only has one son, and his name is Jesus. And Jesus is the way. Jesus is the way. And these people were steeped in their religions. They were steeped in the religion, rather. They were steeped into the traditions. And the Bible says that there's only one thing that makes the word of God of no effect, and that was men's traditions. And it's got to, we got to realize, guys, that our little traditions may not be what God wants to bless anymore. For a season, he might put his hand on something because we lack understanding. But when it's time to go to the next level, he says, it's all about me now. I want what I think is best for you, not what you think is best for you. Come on, somebody. Quit asking God to bless what you're doing and start doing what God has blessed. That's what God wants in this hour. And I'm saying that like this because revival is coming to this church. We're in the move of a move of God. I'm telling you, but revival's coming here, and it's going to come not just here, but all over the place, and we're going to be part of it. And we've got to be prepared to allow God to be God when he wants to show up. We may not always understand it, but we have to allow God to do it. I'm going to make this statement, because the theme of the book of Hebrews is called the theme of better things, or the book of better things. It was a better covenant than the old. The old covenant was only as good as it was under that time frame. But when Jesus came, Jesus came to prepare for us a better covenant. What bulls and goats, blood could only suffice for a year in people's sins, the people of God. Now Jesus comes and all that believe in him, his blood covers all their sin once and for all. It's a better covenant. Everybody say it's a better covenant. And God always takes you better and never backwards. I said something right there. God always takes you better and never backwards. Everything God has for you is better than you've ever had before and is better than you can possibly think it. Ephesians 3.20, now unto him who is able to do. This God is not only a doing God, he's an able God. He's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ask or think. According to the power that works in us. That word exceedingly means to go beyond your supposed limitations. That means every label, every limitation that man has put upon you, God wants to supersede that in your life. He doesn't want to hold you and relegate you to your path. He wants you to come up out of the box like he did. Everybody say, he's got better for me. Say it one more time, he's got better for me. The next time somebody walks out on you, say, he's got better for me. 
When they tell you today's your last day, you tell them he's got better for me. When they invite everybody else to lunch and don't invite you, you just say he's got better for me. God's got better for you. Philippians 3.13, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward. you got to show some action. I forget the things that are behind. There's always a pole to go backwards. Why is that? Always a pole to go back to the way things were. How come the good old days weren't the good old days when we actually lived the good old days? But the devil will always magnify to make you feel like back there was better than today. That's a lie. That's a lie. And what we'll do is we'll change you to that day and you'll never move forward. Paul said, I got to release it, man. I got to let it go. All them people talk behind my back. I released them and let it go. That person did me wrong. I released it and let it go. That's when I felt that this happened. I released it and let it go. I'm pressing forward. Reaching. I'm reaching to the things which are ahead your future is not hinged on them. Your future is hinged on him. He's got better. Look, I haven't preached my best sermon yet. I haven't wrote my best production yet. I haven't had my best testimony yet. Have you? I haven't lived my best life yet. Have you? There's so much more that this God wants to do. I hear someone say, well, preacher, if God's got better for me, then why hasn't it happened yet? You want to know why? Because better is a process. It's not overnight. It doesn't happen like this. To get the promise, you've got to be willing to go through the process. Joseph, the Bible says, had a dream. He was one of 12 sons. And he had his dream, spiritual tool, dreams, and where the, uh, there's small stars that bow to a larger star and then small uh, wheat that, that, that uh, bow to a larger wheat. And um, there were dreams about him being promoted and his family bowing down to him. And so he goes and tells the dream to his siblings and to his parents. Well, they, 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 are, they are having a fit. They think this guy's the most arrogant thing they've ever seen in their life. And they, they can't stand. They hate him because of his dream. Be careful who you tell your dreams to. Come on, somebody. They may be true, but be really careful who you tell your dreams to. And so... They sought an occasion to take Joseph out, and they found him. What did Joseph do? Well, the Bible says that God put a coat of many colors. Well, actually, his father put a coat of many colors on him and showed Joseph favor above the other sons. You know, we all want God to favor us, but we don't realize that when he does, it's like a coat of many colors that gets on us. It's like a target, a bullseye on our back for the enemy to attack us. And if you're not willing to go through the process of the attack to make it to the other side, you'll never get the promotion. You'll never get the blessing. The favor doesn't mean, when God's favor comes upon, it doesn't mean everything's hunky-dory, so to speak. It doesn't mean everything's going to work perfectly. It simply means God's got his hand on you no matter what you go through next. Just know God's hand is on you to deliver you and get you to the other side. And so favor, they were jealous and they took him and took that coat off of him and threw him in a the pit. They wanted to kill him. One of the brothers said, don't do it. He's our brother. But let's make it look like death. They took his coat and ripped it a little bit. And put, uh, they killed a, an animal and put the animal's blood on there. And took it to the father and said he's dead. But they knew the whole time he was in a pit. What did Joseph do to deserve it? Nothing. Had a dream. Big deal. I thought God's favor was on him. Evidently not because now he's in a pit. 
Or evidently, yes. It's all in how you look at it. See, the pit wasn't permanent. Come on, church. It wasn't permanent. It was just a part of the process. So he's in the bottom of the pit. And next thing you know, the brothers come by the next day and sell him into slavery. His own brothers, the pain of this, sells him into slavery, takes him, uh, and, 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 and he ends up in the city. And a man named Potiphar buys him as a slave and takes him into his home. And the Bible says the hand of God was upon him. The hand was on him in the pit. The hand was on him in Potiphar's house. He's doing everything Potiphar wants and more. He's the number two guy in the household. Potiphar's a very rich man. And uh, the problem was there was a wife that wanted Joseph. Evidently, Joseph was good looking. Had a six pack probably. Like your pastor. Come on, somebody say amen. You, look, you got to have the eyes of faith. I'm trying, this is faith builders, y'all. You got to have faith. You got to see it with the eyes of the spirit. I am seven foot tall in the eyes, and I got abs. You see it, pastors? You say, I see it, pastors. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Got some faith people in here. And some people say, nope. <laughs> She's going to have to work on me a little bit more. And, and so she went after him, and she wanted to have sex with him, and he would not do it. He wouldn't do it before his God. He wouldn't do it because of the, the man that, that he served, and he wouldn't do it. It was dishonoring. One day she grabbed him and said, take me, take me. He ran so fast, he ran right out of his clothes, and she had his garments, and he took off running. And she got so angry, she cried rape. She literally cried, this man tried to rape me and had him in prison. For what? What did he do? Where's God, man? This is how God treats his people. That's what I would be thinking. But the Bible says when he went to prison, the hand and the favor of the Lord was upon him. See, he knew it wasn't permanent. He just knew he's being... I'm going to say it. He was being positioned, repositioned through the process. He knew he couldn't stay with them no more, and this was the way to get through it. It was the shortcut. It may have been painful, but it definitely was the shortcut. And he gets into the palace, or he gets rather into the prison, and there he's being used by God. God's anointed him. God has blessed him. He wouldn't boohooing. He wouldn't crying. He wouldn't say, oh, God, I can't believe you did this to me again. This is how you treat your children. I just can't believe that. He didn't do none of that stuff. He used this gift as if he was on, out of jail like he would on anybody else and begin to interpret the dreams of other people. He's being used of God, and then 24 hours later, God saw his faithfulness and got him up out of that prison, and now he's second in charge of Egypt, of the greatest nation on the earth to, to America. There's no one no greater than them the Roman Empire than us. They've been, they're, they're that powerful. And here he is. Now he's number two in command. God's looking out for you. Quit your belly aching, man. Quit your complaining. I can't believe it. I have to take the bus. Well, you're going to take the bus for the rest of your life. You keep acting like that. God's got a car already ready for you. I'm way ahead of my message now. Come on, somebody. Amen, somebody. That's painful. That's persecution. Are you kidding me? That's a part of the process. Church, we must prepare for the process. There is no manifestation until this first preparation. Let me say it again. There can't be manifestation until this first preparation. You see, the better has already been prepared. 
It's the recipient that has not been. The better has already been built. Now God's trying to build you up so that you can handle what he's prepared for you. This God's name is Jehovah Jireh. A man named Abraham got a revelation of that when God asked him to take his son, his only son, on top of Mount Moriah. And there, you sacrifice him there. And he obeys God. You know his head was going crazy. Thinking, it's my boy. But he doesn't fight it. He goes and he knows that. He, that's why he told his servant, I and the lad go yonder to worship, but we shall return. He knows that even if he dies, God will raise him back up because God's faithful to his promise. But he goes anyways. He's just about to take the knife and plunge it into the son, his son's chest. And an angel stops and says, stop, God's seen you today. He's seen your faithfulness today. Look over there. Abraham, you didn't know, but over there, just, just a few feet from you, is a ram caught by its horns in the thicket. In other words, that's, he said, that's going to be your sacrifice. That's God's provision. In other words, he said, today, you are known to me as Jehovah Jireh. Your provision shall be revealed. You couldn't see it. It was there the whole time. God's already prepared what you needed. You just need eyes to see it. Come on, somebody. He prepared the better. That's why the Bible says, this is the day the Lord has made. Before you got here, past tense, God already prepared the day you were going to live. And guess what, Monday morning? Get away from the Monday morning blues. Know that your God has already prepared Monday to be the best day of your life. Why? He's Alpha and Omega. He's the beginning and the... And that means he starts from the end and works his way back to the beginning. He already knows every obstacle, every situation, every temptation. He knows everything you got to walk through. And he still says, at a boy, at a girl, you can do it. I got your back. Keep moving forward. Press in with your faith. Don't stop now. Come on, go. There's no need to wait on God. I said, there's no need to wait on God. God's actually waiting on you. Come on, somebody. Remember the old song? Waiting on you. Waiting on you. I'm faithfully waiting on you. We sing it to God. We say to God, I ain't worried about the time, Lord. Lord, I seek to find my strength while I'm waiting on you. And then God sings it back to us. I'm waiting on you. Waiting on you. I'm patiently waiting on you. I ain't worried about the time. I'm eternal. Because I see to find your strength while I'm waiting on you. God's waiting on us to get involved. God's waiting on us. And best, here's the bottom line. Your blessing is waiting on you. Your wife, sir, is waiting on you. Your husband, ma'am, is waiting on you. Your miracle is waiting on you. Your business is waiting on you. Your ministry is waiting on you. Touch your neighbor and say, hurry up, man. Touch your other neighbor and ask him the question, are you willing to go through the process? I was in Madison, Wisconsin. My wife and I trying to build a church in 1997. Didn't go anywhere. We were heartbroken. 1997 in Madison. I was trying to build a church. Didn't know God was trying to build me. 
Milwaukee was already ready. I wasn't. I had to be willing to walk through the pain of failure, to know what it meant, to understand what God wanted and feel his grace and understand what he wanted me to know and get closer to him and say, Lord, I'm willing to fail for you if that's what you want. I'll do whatever you want me to do. That's how he got me here. That's how I became your pastor. Amen. Church Hebrews is one of the few times that God tells us to fear. Wow. To fear that what? That God has prepared something for us and that we would fall short of it. We ought to, that means, that means to respect the process. Fear me, that, there means to respect the process. Do you respect the process? Are you willing to go through? Do you say, I fear enough. I don't want to miss it. I want what God has for me. Church, I don't want yours. I love you. I think you're awesome, but I don't want yours. I don't need yours. I, I, don't, I don't need your job. I don't need your car. I don't need your house. I don't need your money. I don't need your kids. God knows I don't need your kids. Come on, y'all. I don't want what you have. I want what God has for me. And I want it all. Listen, that sounds greedy. And I got to end up here for sake of time. Talking about this mission impossible because it seems impossible to get them. It seems impossible that that dream inside of you, that promise, will ever come to pass. That's a lie. With God, all things are possible. But you've got to believe that there's more in you currently. Greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. I'm an overcomer, y'all. I, I'm going to win no matter what it looks like. I got to. I will. I'm going to. And um, when I was a young preacher, 21, 22, it's, Kind of starting out, you know, just starting out. And I didn't know how to preach, really. And I was nervous. And so what I did was I started emulating and imitating the preachers that I liked. So I tried to be those preachers, you know. And there was several of them that I really followed and liked. And it was before Internet, so you had to kind of watch TV to get it. And uh, in those days, I didn't have it on cable yet, so you had to have the rabbit ears and the rabbit ears. You know, I had to hold them in a certain place. And you get a fuzzy little, okay, I think, I, I, okay, I can kind of make it out, and then you hear the word. And um, so I would act like them because I didn't have anybody else really to follow. Outside of my own father, my, my dad's a preacher. And I acted like him too because I didn't know me yet. I, I wasn't secure with me. And I didn't say the first service, but I was in prayer and the Lord spoke to me and said, you know, son, I love your voice. Because I hated my voice. I hated the way it sounded. Because it didn't sound like the other preachers that I liked. And, and then, um, uh, and, and I said, Lord, I, I, I repeat things too often. He says, I like the way you repeat things. He was teaching me to be me. And let him fill in the blanks. Well, I, got, I was so frustrated. And I was in prayer. In a little uh, building that we had built in Beloit, a youth facility outside of our church, and, and uh, we're the youth pastors, and so I, I got away with God. And I, I, I highly recommend getting away with God and just seeking his face. And I went in there, and I'm, I'm frustrated. I'm talking to the Lord, and all of a sudden, out of my own belly, these words came out of my mouth, and I knew they were the Spirit of God, but it came out of me. And I said these words, Lord, I don't want to be something I'm not, but everything that I am. And that has stuck with me since I'm a kid preacher all these years. 
that I don't need somebody else's anointing or need somebody else's stuff. And I'm not going to emulate you. And I love you and I think you're incredible. But I can't be you. But I can be the best me that God's ever called on planet earth. And there's no one like you. No one that's ever going to be like you. The, the mission is possible to those that believe. There is better in you. There's the God of heaven inside of you. And God's going to give you a breakthrough and believe that it's possible. Don't get stuck, hung up. I said this first of in the in all of the condemnation of your past. Because right before you get a miracle, right as you're about to emerge to move forward, it's like the devil reminds you all the bad behavior, everything you saw wrong, did wrong, spoke wrong. And he says, you ain't worthy of it. The first thing he brings condemnation for is to tell you you're not worthy for the next season of your life. You're not worthy to have it any better than you have it right now. That's a lie. Todd said it a moment ago up here. He said, you are a royal priesthood, a chosen generation. God handpicked you. I don't know he loves the whole world, but why did you get saved and the rest of the family members didn't? Why are you here today? You better thank God. I look at this and say, Lord, thank you. Thank you. i got cousins and relatives that aren't serving you today. I don't know why. I don't even know why. I wish that they did, but somehow you got a hold of me. Amen. Did y'all enjoy the word today?